pipe, oh, and it's yeah. blocked, and it, it is up. going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go, to practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill, to Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! It's Super Bowl week, folks, and we're kicking off Inside Black and Gold with news about offensive coordinator making moves on the offensive line already uh Derek Carr firing back against Michael Thomas's social media rants and uh little news on a new uh landing spot for a former Saints quarterback who retired but has a new gig already what's going on Jeff yeah we're gonna do a lot we're gonna go through a lot here like you said uh you know we're gonna start with Doug Marone Mr. Maroney that's not his name name's Doug Marone we're gonna talk about him but (laughs) Yeah, like like you said, we're going to get into Derek Carr, Mike Thomas spat. We gave a lot of we talked a lot about the Michael Thomas end of it, so I think it's only fair that we talk about the Derek Carr end of it too. We went on a podcast and talked about a lot of things, but more specifically, that's what we're going to talk about. And then the final segment, I have a my my offseason plan. I've mentioned it like 20 times, but I did want to wait until they had an offensive quarter in place so we had some idea of like, okay, what are you looking at? Uh, before I went in on all that, but it's going to, we're going to go through restructures, the guys who I expect to be out of town, the guys you, I want to see them resign, et cetera, et cetera. So we're getting to that. But the first, first, you know, this morning I'm, I'm going through Twitter and the Grammys are last night. And, you know, I have a, I have a non-sports, I have a music take. And, and it's that there is, there is one perfect song and I figured out what it is. Like of all time, just one perfect song. Well, I mean, there's there's probably more than one perfect song, but there there are like there's a there are perfect songs. Let's put it that way. Okay. And I've figured out what one of them is. Do you have a guess? Uh, Olivia. Uh, Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't think of her last name. Vampire, whatever. <laughs> no, that's not a perfect song. There are a lot of reasons that's not a perfect song. Uh, perfect song. Okay. Tracy Chapman, Fast Car. Okay, okay. And I'll tell you why it's a perfect song. Because it does not matter what music you like. It does not matter what you listen to. You're scanning the radio. You come upon a station playing that song. You stop. You know all the words, right? Uh, Luke Combs covered this song. He didn't. He made no changes. He covered the song exactly how she sang it originally. It's the number one song on the country charts. <laughs> That's how perfect this song is. Someone else can sing it, and it's the most popular song just because it's that's it's it's a perfect song. Uh, and uh, they did a duet with it at the Grammys. That's why I got thinking about it. It's just like, it's such a great song. <laughs> it has nothing to do with football. It has nothing to do with this podcast whatsoever, but that's no, my take. One, one of those things. Yeah. You definitely say uh, crosses all genres, obviously, yeah. and is quote unquote timeless. It's perfect. It's such a great song. Anyway, uh, that's, that's my, if so people disagree with me, let me know. If there's someone out there who does not like fast car by Tracy Chapman, tell me why. Cause I don't think, you exist anyway that's 
Let's get back to the Saints here. I just needed to get that off my chest, and I have a platform to do it, so I'm, I did it. Someone will complain she's driving too fast and should slow down because you conserve, you'll conserve gas. I don't know. I could see that. I could see that. There's always something. But anyway, you know, uh, we yeah we the podcast I posted over the weekend it was kind of culled from the Friday episode of Sports Talk, so we didn't have the Doug Marone stuff that came out. I think it was Saturday, maybe Sunday. I can't remember, but you know. I think we talked about it in that episode of, you know, we the Saints didn't fire Doug Marone initially, but that doesn't mean that there weren't going to be changes. And the just the fact that you moved on from Cody Burns and a couple other coaches immediately after the season, that didn't mean that there weren't going to be any more offensive changes. It just meant you were in a holding pattern, in my opinion, until you got that offensive coordinator hired, or at least decided who it would be. And that's what happened on Friday with Clint Kubiak. And you kind of came to the idea that he's the new offensive coordinator. It's just a matter of you got to wait until after the Super Bowl because they're still playing. The 49ers are still playing. So you can finalize it. But that doesn't mean you can't have conversations about, uh, hey, do you do you want to bring your own guy in at offensive line coach? And I, it sort of seems like that the answer to that was affirmative uh, because the Saints are parting ways with Doug Marone. He was in that job for two years. I think he did a good job of getting Cesar Ruiz back on track in year one and that and so you gave him some props for that. But I think there was a failure to get Trevor Penning on track in year two. And to me, that was a, a major indictment on the coaching. So I, I think that's why I went to the offseason. He was one of the coaches that I said, you're definitely going to move on from him. It's just a matter of who you bring in. And that's the case. So Clint Kubiak is going to have a few head, a few coaching spots to fill. Um, and he, it's going to be interesting to see how they do that. Yeah, I'm curious to know what does this mean for a guy like Jari Evans too, and his role with the team. Does he is he get to stick around? Maybe I know you know he was just in a an assistant role there, so it, there's a chance I think. And being a former player, maybe you know might help him stick around. Yeah, you know it is interesting because you you did fire the offensive line coach, but you you did not take any action on Kevin Carberry or Jari Evans. They're both assistant offensive line coaches. You also have some assistants at other positions, like right. uh, Kevin Petrie, Jordan Taylor, DJ Williams, who, you know, it seems like they're going to keep him around. And and I do think there is a balance there of like, it's not a head coach. So you don't get to come in and say, fire everybody. Yeah, sweeping changes here, right. Right. You can make changes, but it has to balance out with what the organization wants to an extent. Like Ronald Curry, it doesn't look like he's going to get an offensive coordinator job anywhere. So to me, that's a no-brainer. You know, the new offensive coordinator comes in, but he's going to have to learn with Derek Carr on the fly. And I want to keep the quarterback's coach who knows him well in that role if I can. So like, I, I'm not surprised that that's not a move you made, and I don't expect it to be. Clancy Barone, you know, I think he's a well-respected tight ends coach. And yeah, I mean, unless unless Clint came in and said, no, I, I have this guy and I really want to work with him, it makes sense that you'd stick with that guy. And then the assistants who, you know, the head coach knows well, the organization knows well. I think it's it's kind of, you know, I think it's got to be kind of a push and pull, a give and take of, we yeah. really like this guy. We think he's going to work well on your staff. So we recommend that you keep him, Right. Yeah, and it's one of those things I would imagine, too, that for Kubiak, he's like, well, uh, let me get in the building and talk to this guy first, too. Or whereas maybe with the offensive line, the Saints knew they wanted to move on with Marone and the fact that Kubiak's like, I have someone in mind. Right, yeah. And, and I think 
you know, with Doug, it was kind of a, an idea of like, you probably are going to move on from him. And I think it's more about like, I think internally they were like, we're probably going to go a different direction, but we do want to figure out who that offensive coordinator is first, just in case he comes in and is like, no, I want Doug Marone. Doug Marone is my guy. I love that guy. Cause Doug Marone is a well-respected coach. Like everyone's going to be like, Oh, that guy he's, you know, he's gotten head coaching job for a reason. Like he's, been around forever and there's a lot of respect there um but that clearly wasn't the case and so now the question becomes who do you bring in at o-line coach do you maybe promote kevin carberry right do you maybe go and find uh someone that kubiak has worked with james craig is a name that people might remember because he was at lsu he's an assistant offensive line coach with the 49ers now so theoretically speaking Yeah, so theoretically speaking, if the Saints wanted to hire him as offensive line coach, the 49ers couldn't block it because it would be a promotion. The Saints have found themselves in that situation with Ryan Nielsen last year, right? Whereas they didn't block Joel Thomas leaving because I think that's kind of an indication that you were ready to move on there as well and just saves you a firing, right? Saves you severance, I guess. I don't know what severance looks like for NFL assistant coaches, but saves you that process. So uh, we'll see. Another guy, Joe Graves, is an assistant offensive line coach with the 49ers now. John Benton is a kind of longtime coach. Uh, I think he spent last year out of college football, but he's a name that's been talked about. I think Luke Johnson with NOLA.com reported that today. So that's going to be the next step. And and I do think that you're you're probably going to come up with a short list of names this week from the organization side who you think would be good candidates. And you're going to get a short list of names from Clint, who he thinks would be good candidates. You're going to marry that together. You're going to do some interviews and you're going to start hiring. But I don't expect hires to get made until after Clint is in the building. I think that's kind of the just order of operations. Um, Because I want him to be in some of these interviews and in these conversations. And he just can't be right now. Like that just, that's just the- He's a little busy. Right. Yeah. He's got a Super Bowl to play in or to, to coach in. Like there's- there's just only so much you can do, but I do think this allows you to take those next steps of identifying and maybe setting up some interviews so you can get ready. But either way, it's it's a big, you know, it's a it's a lot of changes, right? I mean, you're talking about four hires at important positions, right, wide receivers, yeah. running backs, offensive line. <laughs> These are important position coaches. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But I do think that one way or another your offensive line coach hire, and it's not, it's not going to be completely about this, but it's got to be partially about this. Whoever you're bringing in an offensive line coach, I need to hear from them a coherent, cogent, well-devised plan for how you are going to get Trevor Penning back on track to potentially be my starting left tackle. I got to hear it. I got to have something because I just don't know if that plan ever existed under the the last coaching regime. I guess not regime, but you understand. Like I don't know that if that development really happened, at least not at a level that you can accept um no, with right. Doug Marone and and how that was all working. Now, again, he did good work with Caesar Ruiz. So I think that's the frustrating thing and and maybe Caesar took a step back this year. I don't know. But I do need to see development from my young offensive linemen. Um and you know, we talked to Jeff Ireland about this at the Senior Bowl. Uh, and so uh, I just wanted to play some of that audio and, and what he had to say about Trevor in the offensive line position in general. So let's listen to that. Well, I think you should add young offensive linemen pretty much every year. So um, 
you know, with, with Trevor and, and Nick in particular, like I think they're really young, uh, developing, like high upside players that we're looking forward to, you know. But uh, right now we, we wish we had a little bit more information on both of them. We wish you could say, hey, these guys, we can plug them in and start. Well, I don't know. We can say that right now. We got we, What we do feel about both those players is that they should compete to start and, and give us really good depth if, uh, if they don't get there. But we should we feel like they should be uh, able to compete to start. And, and what, what is your evaluation of how it could still work out for Trevor? Well, he's had one off season. He's from a small school. We feel really good about Trevor. Um, you know, there's some things that he obviously needs to work at, and and he knows what those things are. Uh, I, I do feel like there's there's too good of an athlete, too strong of a player, too um, too many ups, too many things that he does well that uh, he shouldn't end up developing into a good player. Now, whether that's inside or outside, you know, right or left, you know, those are all going to be determined by his coach. And uh, well, I think we've got a good plan, and um, making sure we get the upside out of them. You see him as a player that could potentially shift inside in some form. It's really not my decision, uh, but yeah, I do think he could. You know, the the interesting things there are a, you know, we've heard the same thing from Mickey Lewis and Dennis Allen. They want him to compete for that job, and they think he can win it. He could be a starting offensive lineman in the NFL. So the they're not quitting on him. They're not giving up, um, but they're not going to hand him the job either. He's got to go out there and earn it and, and develop this off season. The other thing. So he said, you know, he thinks he could play right or left. He thinks he could play inside outside. That's going to be the question for me is if you consider switching sides of the line, I don't think you're switching positions. I don't think you're putting him at left guard this off season, at least, but I wouldn't hate the idea of you seeing if maybe right tackle fits him in some way. Like, and and maybe that's a position where instead of trying to have him be the starting left tackle on day one, you have him back up Ryan Ramchek and learn from Ryan Ramchek and maybe develop there. But either way, you know, I think you're gonna you're gonna get Trevor with some really important reps this offseason and with a plan. You know, I think Deuce said he would expect to see him working with a specialist this offseason, you know, one of these one of these personal coaches who can who can get you there. And I think that's that would be good to see because, you know, one thing that we've I, consistently from people who analyze the position from his teammates, from his coaches, everyone is in agreement that the athleticism is there. The issue isn't athleticism, it's technique. And you can learn technique. I can't teach you to be a 320-pound dancing bear. I can teach you technique. And so he's got to work on that and understand the position. And I know, like, that's a big thing Deuce talked about is, like, you got you to gotta do that work and you got to get better. And so it's going to be interesting to see if they can do that. And the new offensive line coach is going to have a, a challenge and uh, he's going to have to figure that out. No, for sure. And I, that was th- definitely one of the biggest things for me that was, you know, the big dark cloud over Marone was the lack of development of Penning since this team moved up in a draft to take this kid and you really have gotten nothing so far out of him. So some of it due to injuries. And I think Mickey Loomis alluded to the fact what well, we didn't do this kid any favors, basically him saying. Yeah, I think they just kind of handed him the starting job and didn't consider that he wasn't ready for it. Um, and so th- to me, it's a- like, what, what was he doing all this season though, that he couldn't even get to be in a reserve role and even any, any kind of factor. Yeah. It's tough because did, I, I don't, did, did Andres leave any games? Like were there, were there, 
I guess the week 18 is the best example because Andres did leave and you put Hurst there instead, which that's that's a problem because that means he wasn't ready, right? There weren't a ton of situations like like they could have put him in the jumbo role. They chose not to. And so he was the back. He was the emergency left tackle. Like, I think if Hurst went down in that role, then you would have seen Trevor. But at that point, no, he's not ready to go on the field. And, and that's a problem to me. The other guy that's interesting and, and Jeff mentioned is Nick Saldaveri, who, you know, also got a redshirt year. And I, and I don't think that the issue is a redshirt year per se, but I, I do have an issue with having, giving a guy the job and taking it away. And, and like, I wish it had gone the other way. I wish right, they I had had this, the foresight to start with Andres or start with James at left tackle and then have Trevor available to step in and then maybe midseason go to him in the way that you would have in his rookie season, right? He was not going to start right away as a rookie. He was going to be the backup left tackle. And, you know, there's a scenario where maybe someone goes down and you get some reps and then you work into that role and you build confidence as opposed to as opposed to the way they did it, which is throw him in before he is ready and then bench him midseason, which has the exact opposite effect, right? And so that's that's a big criticism I have. And to me, it just it's a sign that they just kind of mis misunderstood where he was in that development. And you know, there might have been I'm sure there was pressure from the top in terms of this is a first round pick, you got to get him on the field. But they didn't like like you said it, Mickey said it, DA said it. They did not do him any favors in that regard, and so I'm I'm hopeful. Like I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's got no chance to be a a NFL caliber left tackle because you just don't know that yet. But I will sit here and say that it's more about technique than it is about physicality and the ability to do it. And that's why everyone's like throw him at guard. It's if he's struggling to learn the technique at the position that he's played his whole life. Why do you think he's going to succeed at guard is my question. And I am yet to hear an answer beyond, well, I heard he's a great run blocker. Well, sure. But it's, it's just, it's not an easier position. It's a different position. And I think the first step is to figure out whether he can be a left tackle. And that's, what's going to happen. And people are going, I already decided he's not a left tackle. Well, I don't care what you think. Because like I talked to the I talked to his teammates and to a, to a man none of them tell me that they think he doesn't have the capability to play left tackle they think he's got to learn how to play left tackle uh, and he came in more raw than I think anyone expected um, that I think is you know the biggest issue too it's like man you shot the moon for this kiddo and it's it's been rough getting no return out of him really so far. I, so here, here's the thing. One, one thing that annoys me is when people say like they traded up for Trevor Penning. They didn't really trade up for Trevor Penning. They traded for an extra pick. And that other pick was Chris Olave. So like in terms of the draft compensation, you can't just say, well, the trade was made for Trevor Penning. Right? The trade was made so you could pick two guys, and one of those guys ended up being Chris Olave. So he has to be a piece right, of but, that conversation. But the other one, yeah, was was Penning. Yes, it is. <laughs> and and but like the trade itself can't just be said, oh, there was a it's not like the Marcus Davenport trade, but I hear people talk about it like the Marcus Davenport I gotcha. trade. Where you traded two picks to make one pick. In this case, you traded you traded a, several picks, but you traded two first rounders to make that second first rounder a year early. Right. 
And then then you traded additional assets to go up and get Chris Olave at what 11, 10, whatever it was. Um, but that the the idea was always you make two picks. And that's the difference to me is you did get two players. Now, you hit on one of those picks. <laughs> I think Chris was the is the best wide receiver. I mean, empirically speaking, you could say Garrett Garrett Wilson, but you know, over two a two-year sample size, I like what Chris did better than what what Garrett did. I like what Chris has done better than what Drake London has done. I like what Chris has done better than what Jameson Williams has done. You know, you like go up and down that list of rookie wide receivers. So, I mean, you, I think, but this is, this is the issue you run into when you draft for need, right? Like this is when I think you look at that pick and you're like, well, they needed a left tackle. So they went and drafted the best left tackle available, but maybe he wasn't the best option in that draft slot. But you, but why did you make that pick? You needed a left tackle. So, like, that's why when people say, well, they need this, they don't need this. You drafted a cornerback instead of something else in round two. What's because you went best player available. And I think you're happier with Alante Taylor in round two than you would be if you reached for something else. So, I don't know. That, that just kind of goes back to the draft philosophy of like, well, why did they draft? Why did they build on a strength rather than try to fill a hole? Because when you try to fill gaps in your roster through the draft, you make mistakes. And, you know, there's, there's one of them, but again, hopefully the new offensive line coach can, can find a route to development that Doug Marone didn't. And, and, and yeah, you know, and I know that it was a big joke. I feel like in the beginning of uh, Penning's initial rookie camp of him having that aggression and getting into fights with players, but you know what? I feel like this year we kind of saw really too tame of, of Trevor, so hopefully the new offensive, you know, line coach too can bring back some of that nastiness and aggressiveness because maybe it was a little too much and like he just it got you know overwhelming for for Penning because yeah like you talk about everybody speaks about the abilities it's all about refining technique well uh, obviously this season is going to be huge to see what in fact you can get out of this guy that you invested a lot in I'll just say that. Yeah, and if you're trying to convince yourself that there's there's a reality where he can improve and and become a much better player next year, uh, it's you need it, him it, really. <laughs> it's fairly speaking, like it. And this is not this is not a re- ridiculous thing to say. He has not had a true off season at the NFL level to this point in his rookie season. Obviously, that's a whirlwind of of stuff. You're kind of just learning how to be an NFL player the development there is not as consistent as you'll probably see as you would probably expect it to be in year two. Well, in year two, he had that injury in week 18. He had surgery. He didn't really, he couldn't really do the work in the off season that you would probably hope a second year player would be able to do to fix things like Chris Olave came back in year two as a, as, as a player that had worked on certain things that he struggled at in the off season. And, and same thing with Rashid Shahid, right? And, Trevor never really got the opportunity to do that. And so hopefully that process as it happens this year will lead to a different guy walking through the door in terms of readiness than you got this year. Like that's, that's the glass half full way to approach this is he, he didn't get hurt. He's healthy. And so he can do the work. Now he has to do the work, but he can do the work in a way that he was unable to last year. And for me, a little bit of frustrating, you know, a lot of the people that talk about making that move from, you know, tackle to guard, 
I always hear footwork being brought up. And you know what? I'm no offensive line guru, obviously. So I, I don't know what the factor is there. And if, in fact, that, you know, all of a sudden now, Penning's footwork was more suited for a guard spot than tackle in the NFL. The footwork's important at guard, too. Right, right. Like, right it's exactly. a different footwork. Like, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, people talk about guard as if it's like the offensive line light position <laughs> of like, oh, you can't play tackle. Well, guard is easier. It's not. It's just a different position. The same way not all guards can play center, right? <laughs> you just got to be good at what you do. Um, and, you know, like like maybe, you know, again, like I would rather you see what he, if he can shift across the line first, if maybe that's a better position for him. Right. Because your right tackle is typically your more run dominant player and your left tackle is usually your pass pro dominant player. Um, so, I mean, that's something maybe you look at and maybe it makes more sense to Miles. I don't know, but I don't expect this off season to be the one that you shift him to guard. Now, if you're going to do that, maybe it's next year. Maybe you go through this year and it's just like, nope, he's not figuring it out. Let's try something else. But again, you want, I want him to go through an entire off season working on the skills necessary to play tackle. And that's what it sounds like is going to happen. So that's all I got there. Um, again, you know, we got a bunch of coaching up openings and over the next few weeks, I'm sure we'll, we'll start to hear a lot of names thrown out there. Um, but for now, uh, it's offensive line coach, wide receivers, coach, running backs, coach, and then you have an offensive assistant job open with Bob Bicknell getting fired. We got to watch out. They don't come after Deuce McAllister for the running backs coach. <laughs> no, and that's and again, like I mentioned, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, I don't think Deuce wants to coach personally. You know, <laughs> Deuce has never come across to me as someone who's really that interested in getting into coaching. I could be wrong, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, I I'd like to see the Saints go out and poach some <laughs> poach some coaches, right? Uh, well, that, that, that's the thing. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested. Obviously, we're we're going to see after Super Bowl time who exactly Kubiak's going to bring with him because I don't I don't think he's leaving empty handed, honestly. No, and that's, you know, it, it's, you know, I, I do look at it and the funny thing is going to be when, you know, you know, the offense is great next year, you know, and, and that's a very pie in the sky take, but yeah, yeah, like, yeah. the offense looks way better under this new, this new offensive coordinator. And then with, this is a situation the saints have never been in before, never been in, haven't been in for a long time is hot shot offensive coordinator gets hired somewhere else. And now you're yeah. in this position, the bucks are in. Right. <laughs> um, and so, I'm hopeful that, you know, you're retaining Ronald Curry. And if that did happen, then he would get that. You know, that's why, like, it's tough to be a defensive head coach because you're getting your pieces picked away from you uh, every offseason. And it's only the good seasons. It's not the bad seasons. It's not when things are going badly, you're not having coaches pilfered. It's when things are going good. Um, and that's what makes it hard to maintain over time. But I'm still hopeful that Ronald can be the offensive coordinator in New Orleans uh, because I think RC deserves that job. And it's the the route to that now is okay the saints offense really hits its stride under clint and then okay rc this is your turn right because you get he gets hired away as a head coach and nothing you can do and and but that's yeah that's the pie this guy take that's way down the road kind of take but that's all i got anything else on the coaches before we move on no what you're right there and like you you got to think that the career path for obviously clint kubiak is his goal is to be like daddy and become a head coach, a Super Bowl winning head coach. Right. He wants to be a head Like, that's the thing. No one, no one signs up to be an offensive coordinator 
with no ambitions of being a head coach. Actually, I take it back. There's only one that I can think of, and it's Pete Carmichael. <laughs> and that's why you had stuck with him for so long. Because he was like just fine. I'm, I'm cool here. Who is willing to be that kind of servant leader who has that he's going to have that role, but he's not going to be constantly looking out in the rearview mirror for like, oh, I wonder if they want to hire me as a head coach. Like, it's just I'm not good. It's one of the, you know, people make fun of him because he's kind of this meek fellow, but it was one of the best traits is you had stability, you know, and uh, we'll see how that goes over time. But yeah, it's, it's funny because like this could be a one year thing. This could be a one because it doesn't go well and DA gets fired and you fire Clint. This could be a one year thing because it goes really well and he gets hired as a head coach or, you know, maybe you end up in the situation the Lions are in where, he gets interviewed for a head coaching job. And then I don't know what the hell happened, but it sure sounds like it didn't go well uh, with the commanders. Did you see that story about how his agent texted the commanders while they were in the air flying to uh, Michigan? There's a lot of other strange scenarios with the Raiders too, you know, yeah, with Cliff Kingsbury. Right. So I'm just, I'm hoping, hoping this all goes smoothly for the saints. Cause I like to, I like to hire, uh, the idea of Kubiak and I don't want to see anything go wrong with it. Yeah. But like, this is the thing you'd be careful what you wish for, because this is what everyone wanted. Everyone yeah. wanted a new offensive hotshot off. It's coordinator the building. Right. And, and what it's going to mean is that if it goes it, like you're, you're going to be on this carousel every year. And I think this is probably when you look at it, why the saints wanted to maintain the job with Pete, if they could, because right now you know, he wasn't going anywhere. Right. No, never. Right. He, was as comfortable as you could possibly be. And that maybe I worked against him. I don't know. But now, now there's a lot of variables. But anyway, this is Inside Black and Gold. We're going to wrap this segment up. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about Derek Carr and Michael Thomas. Who dat? If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Hit the Ring the bell on YouTube. Uh, we got over 9,600 subscribers. Uh, hopefully we can get to 10K prior to the draft but we'll see we'll see wow jeff i just want to point out to our fans on our odyssey app right now you can get wonderful stuff like will aliens invade the super bowl and force a tie yeah there you go yeah right now on the odyssey app how can you not download that app with that type of engaging content uh but all right we'll be right back on inside black and gold back on inside black and gold your favorite podcast to talk about the same thing over and over and over again because that's what we're going to do we're going to talk about the thing we talked about last week i'm Uh, I'm happy we're not in the the doldrums of summer though things haven't been so bad yet no we've had stuff i I mean it's funny because the doldrums is when you can actually like research stuff and not have to constantly be reacting (laughs) uh which like i kind of prefer i think it makes for good podcasts Whereas like in like during the season, it's all just like reacting to this, reacting to that. Yeah. And right now we're still in that. We're still reacting to stuff constantly. And so we'll see. But, you know, this is, you know, I I think it's important that we talk about this again, just because we spent a long time talking about the Michael Thomas Twitter bombs that he was (laughs) lobbing left and right uh, last week or during the AFC championship. Right. And then afterward. Right. So I think it's only fair that we spend some time talking about, the response to it, which was Derek Carr on the the two G's in a pod podcast. It's James Jones and Amber Theo Harris. And it's an interesting coupling 
because, you know, Derek Carr's on there and James Jones was his former wide receiver in Oakland. Maybe they're in Vegas at that point. I can't remember. But, you know, so so James knows Derek, you know, and, and so I, you know, his takes are almost as interesting as what Derek has to say about it. But I'm not going to play that because, you know, if you want to hear them talk on their podcast, you should go listen to their podcast. I recommend it. It's a really good interview. They do a good job. Um, before be one, there is another podcast called two G's in a pod. They are not the only two G's in a pod. <laughs> um, so, uh, if you see these random, these two random white dudes talking, that's the wrong one, go find the right one. Um, but you know, I, I did clip out, you know, about 90 seconds of what Derek had to say. There's more to it. If you want to hear it, go, you know, listen to that podcast. I don't want to steal their content any more than I have to, so that we can talk about it while also putting it in the context that it deserves. And this is about the smallest clip I could grab that, that does not take away important context of what Derek said. Um, but I'm, I am going to play that for you here so we can kind of have a discussion about it. And uh, here's that. Know exactly when it happened, but it probably wasn't the best ball. And I'm being completely honest, James knows. James, James played with me. I'm not going to throw a perfect ball 100 out of 100 times. But, you know, I probably didn't throw the best ball. But if that's how he wants to view it and how he wants to see it, Completely fine by me, you know, and I, I understand also that when I came in the building, you know, you know, we have Chris Olave who they were trying to train to be the number one guy. So all of a sudden, every rep and every read and practice is Chris first, you know, and, and, and as a superstar that Mike is and what he has been, I can understand you're dealing with all the injury noise. You're dealing with now Chris has become a guy and he loves Chris, you know, that, that's his guy, Ohio State, all that. But I can understand where the frustration begins to build. You know, I can understand where all those things begin to take place. Um, but, you know, there was times during the season where he'd be frustrated or this or that. And I wouldn't, you know, tweet about it. I would just call him, you know, and I'd just be like, look, bro, like this is what it is, bro. We grow, we're grown men. We can talk about anything. And uh, every time that, you know, I went on there and, you know, talked to him, you know, there was times where I, I you know, went at him and co- confronted him about something and said something. And he probably, over time, with all the frustration, grew to not liking that, you know. Uh, but I've always just tried to tell the truth in love. And sometimes, you know, people don't like it, you know. But, you know, I, I hope Mike finds what he's looking for. I hope he gets everything he wants uh, in life because I do love Mike. Uh, but at that moment, I didn't really like it, you know. I was <laughs> like, you just just call me, bro. Like, yeah, you know, that's... to say this, to say all these things, like, I felt like it was like we're doing like some middle school thing, man. Just talk to me. And Mike was great about talking to me. But in that moment, you know, that's why I just try and stay off social media, man. There's so much love. There's so much hate. Just try to stay off it. Wise words from Derek Carr about social media. Yeah, you know, and and yeah, I think that's fair, right? A lot of what he's saying there is is fair. Again, that's the two G's in a pod. It's a podcast with James Jones and Amber Thea Harris. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes and the show description on YouTube. So if you want to go listen to that go go do it and you know he said a lot of interesting stuff he was also asked about john gruden and he had some interesting answers this was prior to the clint kubiak news coming out so he was asked in the context of what would you think about john gruden being your offensive coordinator and if this had been posted a week earlier it would have been a really interesting answer um to talk about it's not anymore but i do think it's like i would not be shocked to see john gruden maybe in consideration for i don't know an offensive assistant role or something like that because like we, we talked about on the on the show on Friday, you know, I think the next step for John is going to be getting his foot back in the door of the coaching ranks and normalizing that he's in the NFL again. And then from there, maybe, you know, putting his name in the in some of these 
coaching searches. But I never yeah, thought I it made sense for him to be the offensive coordinator. And I so now it's like, okay, but what was that? Definitely see uh, having Gruden in some kind of lesser role. Definitely, though, still around if they think he can help, obviously, Carr in some way, shape, or form. And obviously, if I think Kubiak approves uh, sh- that, that he's going to be the man in charge now. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I was on step with you the whole entire way of there's no way that that Gruden was going to come in and want to take a role as offense coordinator. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm a head coach for, for crying out loud. Okay, and it's yeah, funny they, he's got to get things straightened out with the NFL a little on the legal side. And then, yeah, he, he could very well be a hot commodity for next season. It's funny because they asked him, they asked Derek if he thought he could be an offensive coordinator and he kind of gave a non-committal answer. He was like, he yeah. could do whatever he wants to do. Yeah. But like, he's like, I think that's kind of in code for like, no, he's not going to take the, anyway. Uh, right. So Mr. Get- that dude with that, with his personality and, you know, the bravado he brings to, he's not taking a step back to OC. No, it it doesn't. It never made sense. Anyway, uh, let's get back to the mic part of it. You know, a big part of what I thought we learned in that rant, and I talked about this uh, last week in our podcast, is I I didn't realize how dissatisfied Mike was with his role, and you know the the bad ball stuff. Like you know, even Derek said he didn't know exactly when it happened because I think there is some confusion there in in the the first ball was the bad ball, but the second ball was the one he got hurt on. And that was just a slant. Um, but there, you know, there's, there's clearly resentment there on Mike's side, but I don't think like, there's no way that it was just that one play that set Mike off to the point that he's tweeting about his quarterback to just random people uh, <laughs> throughout the course of a weekend. Right. Like, you know, and, and I think that, there's a lot more to it. And Derek said a lot there in terms of, you know, we got in the building and they're trying to train Chris Olave to be the number one receiver. And as a superstar, you're probably like, well, what the hell? And, you know, I mean, I think that tells you a lot. And over the course of the season, no, he and Mike did not get along. They did not see eye to eye on things. He said in that, in that quote that they got into some dust ups or he'd, they'd have phone calls or they'd have whatever. Um, and like I talked about in the other, uh, podcast, he, you know, Derek would say, Hey, you, if you don't, if you think you should be getting the ball here, go talk to them, go talk to the coaches because I'm just doing what they're telling me to do. And, and, and you're Mike and you're like, well, I don't think that's true. I think you're doing a bad job and no one's saying it, but you know, at the end of the day, to me, it's like, I think what you're hearing from Derek there makes sense. And what you heard from Mike makes sense in a lot of ways, and well, we can disagree on whether, you know, Mike should have been the focal point of the offense. We can debate that. We can debate whether Derek was a good teammate, right? We can debate that. We can debate whether Derek takes accountability for when he's not good enough. And I don't think at points this season he did. Um, and we can talk about that. But what is not up for debate, what is objectively not up for debate is whether the impact that the 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 rift the discontentment the whatever between Derek Carr and Michael Thomas what impact that had on the locker room in terms of positive or negative it was objectively a negative impact on that room however you slice it wherever you land the quarterback and the veteran wide receiver openly feuding over who gets the ball with the wide receiver tweeting about his quarterback during the season 
which is what happened after Derek kind of yelled at Chris Olave. And that Mike was still on the team at that point. Mike had not disappeared with an injury, right? That was during the season. And then Derek sees that, right? And like, and your teammates sees that, uh, all, like Chris sees that. And, you know, again, you can agree with Mike and you can say Mike is right in all of these things. But at the end of the day, that was not a positive thing for the locker room. And you saw what happened when it kind of got removed, right? The team started playing better. Um, and so, you know, you could say, well, they should have moved on from Derek and, and fine. I understand why you're saying that. That's but not going to happen. Come on. Right. Gonna happen. But and, I, I like, I like how Carr was like, well, I wish him the best because yeah, we know Mike T ain't coming back. Yeah. I, I did like that. Like, I hope he finds what he's looking for. <laughs> It was like a bad relationship, you know, when it ends. And it's like, well, I hope, you know, one day you find your true love. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, you know, uh, it's not me, it's you kind of situation. Right, exactly. Or it's not you, it's me, uh, whatever. But, you know, and, and like, again, like, I love Mike. I think Mike is a great player. I, I wish that the injuries never happened, you know, uh, but they did. And I think one big issue, one big kind of split between – the quarterback, the wide receiver, the offense and the wide receiver, the offensive coordinator, I should say, like the the plan of the offense and the wide receiver in this case is, no, Mike is not the same player he was in 2019. He's not. He's just not. He's still a good a player. He's still a very good player. He's still a very effective player. But no, you are not going to be pushing him 12, 15 targets a game. You're not. This is Chris Olave's team now, right? And... Either you're on board with that or you're not. And I think early on, there was this idea that, you know, okay, I can live with it. I can figure it out. And then as things didn't go well, no, it stopped being a thing that was was okay. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, But I do think, you know, the question is, can you move forward from this? And can that offense, can that locker room can gel in a way that you, I don't think happened this year well enough, at least not across the board. Um, and I think you can, but I think you have to move on from Mike Thomas, right? I think that's something you probably should have done last year. You probably should have done it two years ago, but the contract didn't make sense to move on from. And to me, now you're at a point where you're going to prioritize locker room chemistry and and that con that that combination of ingredients, right? Um, over the financial ramifications of moving on. You just have to. To me, yeah, I still hear – when I hear the whole stuff even happening now, you know, going back with Michael Thomas being a disturbance, it's kind of like the end of the season, Mickey Mickey Loomis addressing the locker room. And it's like one of those things, finding out who's with this team and who's against it. And, right, I'm, I'm sorry, but Mike T is someone that definitely is against the, the what this team is trying to build right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because I don't even know if I'd go that far. I just don't think he gets along with the quarterback. Well, and that's a problem, obviously, because that's not changing. Right. There's <laughs> only so many. There's only so many variables you can change in an offseason, <laughs> right? And it's and and no. And if the and if the question is, if you're out there saying, "Wow, they they chose Derek Carr over Michael Thomas. They chose Dennis Allen over the players," like yeah. <laughs> you are you're choosing your locker room you're choosing this 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 over disgruntled veteran players who i don't think were ever on you know in, just bought into the bought into the the program 
Now, my bigger question is, is Marshawn. How does he factor into all this? Because we don't have this kind of very visible blow up that we know fully about, but there have been reports or have been rumblings that he was not happy with how things were going. Um, and we'll see, you know, and, and I think the restructure and how they did it with the option bonus is indicative of that. And, and you do have a chance to move on from him or you're considering moving on from him. Otherwise, you would have never set his contract up the way you did. So that's my bigger question is how is that all, all sorted out? Because I think it's a different, I don't think it's the same issue if Marshawn is upset as it would be with, with Mike, because I think so much of Mike's issue is Derek Carr. And I don't see how Marshawn, I, I don't know how that could work <laughs> where, where Marshawn's mad about Derek. That wouldn't make a ton of sense. To me. What's what, wild too is obviously the relationship seemed to be, it started out on a great foot with Michael Thomas having these glowing reviews with praying hands of, of Carr joining the Saints. And it didn't last very long for sure. No, no. Well, and, and again, it's like, it didn't work. At the end of the day, whatever you think about it, whoever you think is right, it didn't work. Then you got it. And it's like, okay, you know, fail, fail fast, right? Fail fast, fix your problems, move on. Um, and that's where you're at. And we're going to get more into that in the, in the, in the final segment with the off season plan. Uh, but again, I did think James Jones was interesting on that podcast because you know, he's, he's a similar player. You know, he's, he was never as good as Mike Thomas. Like I don't, don't act like I'm sitting here and saying Mike Thomas and James Jones are the same guy because Mike Thomas was just elite, elite, elite at doing what James Jones did, right? Like the similar type of player, but Mike Thomas's ceiling was way higher. But James had a solid career and he understands, like he's a physical receiver too, right? Like he, he'd go in traffic, he'd take hits. And, and, I th- and his big gripe with it, which is kind of, which I think is fair. And I think it's, you know, that's not how you handle things, right? Like, it's like, I could be on Mike Thomas's side and say, yeah, you got to be better about doing certain things. A- X, Y, Z wasn't good enough, but going on Twitter and causing a distraction is never going to be the right course, right? Like, it's not like you saw this like teammates chiming in and saying like, Oh yeah, Mike's go get him." No, because that's just not how a locker room builds itself up. Um, I did. And Derek did post on social media about like, you know, if they're not for you, they're against you, that sort of thing. And you did have some players chiming in and saying, and, and like being like, you know, positive reactions. So I don't know. I, I think, you know I'd like I, to see this I didn't team see either brother chiming in on Mike T's comments. I don't pay attention to what Derek or, or uh, Darren Darren. say. I, I I don't think it's productive. I'm not trying to. I don't know. They could talk if they want. <laughs> I, I like. I I just those conversations are never healthy. It's, it gets very aggressive real fast. Oh yeah, they're um, sticking up for bro. Well, not even that. No, it's it's the reaction that I don't like because it's like they can say whatever they want, but you get these really these really personal takes directed at like family members. It's it's weird. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> and I, it's like it's like why Peyton never wanted to talk about Eli, you know, and and vice versa. Like they hated playing each other. Did you know that? No. Well, I, I, yeah. I, when, I, I when Eli with was with the Giants, when Eli was with the Giants, and they would match up, and they were in different conferences, so they'd only play like once every two years. Yeah, uh, like 
they did not like it. They, they did not look forward to it. They would get interviewed about it and they would be like, you know, I hate this. This is not fun for me. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's a conflicting situation. I'm sure Archie didn't like it either. No, it's like you keep the money machine rolling. Everyone's talking Manning, Manning. Yeah, they're going against each other in the Pro Bowl now. There you go, right. Which I, yeah, I, I don't, you know, the funny thing is I don't think the Pro Bowl from a viewing perspective is, is a good product. Right. But what makes it watchable is the Mannings kind of like living and dying with this game. Like they're so into it. Like Peyton, they lost on the final play of the Pro Bowl. And you're like Peyton like drops to his knees. He's not acting. Right. No, not at all. <laughs> That's legit. That he's upset. Like he's going at the rest, but like that's an illegal teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I don't know if you watched any of that, but it was funny. I watched the second half of that uh, flag football game. Um, you know, just changing course to uh, another quarterback um, for a second here that I do want to talk about. So Teddy Bridgewater retires from the Lions. He's going to go, uh, what was it, Northwestern High School or something in uh, in Miami, his alma mater. Uh, that's definitely not the name of it. I'm sorry. Um, but you, you kind of knew. You had a feeling it was going to be the case because he kind of talked about it previously. He said he was going to retire. He always wanted to get into coaching. You know, maybe maybe he coaches high school for a while, tries to get into NFL coaching. I don't know. But um, That was quick, though. He, like, retired from the Lions, and, like, a week later, it's like, bam, I'm a high school coach. Well, the job is open. Yeah, right? he, he like, wasn't waiting. That's the job you want. You can't wait around. You got to take it. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if, like, he ends up being that, that type of guy who signs with a team at like in, like, week 15 of the season one year just to, you know. Uh, because that that will happen. I think Philip Rivers did that, or at least Philip Rivers wanted to do that. I can't remember, but because he could still play, like he's still physically able to play. He's just you know I, done with it. But um, you know, one thing that was interesting. So Jeff Duncan, Noah.com tweeted today that uh, if if Sean hadn't retired after, or if Sean hadn't quit after the 2021 season, they were going to bring in Teddy Bridgewater to compete for the starting job. And you know it's funny because I I know what he's talking about because I also knew this. Um, and if this is before we even started the podcast, this is just a standing video on YouTube back before like we were doing the podcast version of this. And I put out a video saying like I thought Teddy Bridgewater should be the starting quarterback in the 2022 season, and a lot of it was couched in the fact that I knew, you know, like yeah, they were going to potentially bring in Teddy, and I assumed. You know, because they're keeping so much the same, you might as well stay the course with the quarterback position too, and bring in Teddy and let him compete and and potentially win that job. And you know, it's it's funny because like at the time, I was like, well, what are you even talking about? <laughs> and they didn't end up doing that, which is weird because it's like the one thing that they didn't try to continue was, you know, that part of it. But uh, it is kind of funny, like as you look at it, and like, well, why are certain why do certain takes exist certain ways? <laughs> like because it's like no one no one was sitting there telling me teddy would be the quarterback but i didn't know that sean was interested in being the quarterback uh but anyway i thought that was interesting yeah and the comments that sean made uh obviously i f forget to who was it to jeff duncan no i think I'm it was uh, it might have been i don't know um about one of the greatest leaders he's ever coached and the fact that uh he was like ferris bueller everyone just wants to follow him yeah, that's, no, and, and that to me is great. That's a great yeah, line. Like the charisma there is is yeah. definitely legit. Um, and like fans saw that, right? My my biggest one of my biggest disappointments, and there's a lot of them, 
but one of my biggest disappointments in like recent Saints history is that we'll just never know. We never got to see Teddy Bridgewater be the starting quarterback. And he might not have been good, but like he went to Carolina and things went terribly. Right. Right. But, and I don't blame him for leaving. Uh, they dropped a bag on his head. He took it, you know, for a starting job. But if Drew had retired after the 2019 season, Teddy would have been the same starting quarterback. Drew wanted to get one more year in, and they had a good year. They went to the division around the playoffs. Can't be too mad about it. But it would have been a fun ride. The, the, what, what would have been annoying is Teddy's a starting quarterback in 2020, and then you know it goes terribly, and then no, none of the fans are ever in the building to cheer for him. So any doesn't matter who was the quarterback in 2020. It wouldn't have been a we wouldn't have been able to enjoy the fan environment around it. Um, but I'll never forget those five games in, t- in 2019 where, you know, they, they went five and zero, right. That was just so much fun, right? <laughs> like that was just such a fun time in saints history. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's for the best, maybe because we'll always have that. We'll always have five and oh, right. And if Teddy if Ryan make him the Mike starter, yeah. If they make him the starter and it goes badly, then that's going to be the lasting memory. So maybe it's for the best. You know, he gets to have that folklore status, kind of like Shy Tuttle, right? And no one talks about anything about Shy Tuttle other than the stiff arm of Matt Ryan. Like he could have done 90,000 other things in a Saints uniform. That would always be the lasting image. So Teddy, you know, for the same reason, I don't think Drew's ever going to come back and coach because the lasting image of Drew right now is, is this Hall of Fame quarterback. We don't need to know whether he's going to be a bad offensive coordinator or not. I just, well, I want to. I, I will unsum- say though, sadly, Drew's last pass was an interception. Yeah, but I mean, that's still not the lasting image. If Drew came back and led a terrible offense, that would be the lasting image. Yeah. And no one wants that. Um, so anyway, I uh, good luck, Teddy. I love Teddy. One of my favorite Saints, even though he only played like, what, seven games in his career in New Orleans, uh, at least got in the game for it. I'm sure he's going to be a good head coach. I'm sure those players are going to love him. No, and like I said, uh, when you get a glowing review like that from Sean Payton, that's not just him giving you know lip service right there. He really meant the uh, the words that you know that that were put out there about how highly he thinks of, of Bridgewater. And he has he had mentioned that before. Just there's something about the guy that people want to follow him. Yeah. No. And yeah. Right. It, like it's not hyperbole to say like that was the plan to make him the starting quarterback if drew retired that was the plan and like no one knew whether drew was going to come back after 2019 honestly if the saints don't if if it's not for the no call and the saints even make the super bowl in 2018 i think drew would have retired then but how do you retire after that I don't know if you've seen on Disney, you know, the Disney plus the what if episode, you could do like a whole what if right there from the saints. What if the chiefs never traded up past, you know, that's the big, what if, yeah, that's another one. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, can you like, that's the, the biggest, what if of all time, if the chiefs had not traded ahead of the saints for Pat Mahomes. Right. And Pat Mahomes ended up being drafted in new Orleans. Yeah. And taking over for drew Brees in 2019. Sean's still here. Mahomes is still here. Who knows yeah. what other championships are here? Yeah. Could have, would have, should have. Sean would definitely still be here if, if Pat Mahomes was here. <laughs> let's, let's be real about that. <laughs> he wouldn't have even considered it. He wouldn't right. even consider leaving. So if like, if you want to say like, Oh, one of the reasons he left is because they didn't have the quarterback fair. Cause in that, what if episode, Sean Payton is the head coach of the saints for another decade at minimum. Um, 
But all right, um, let's wrap unfor- this. Unfortunately for Sean, though, he didn't find his uh, quarterback in Denver either. No, they. I don't. I have no. They. they they're in trouble. I don't. I don't know what the hell they're gonna do. <laughs> um, anyway, that's, uh, that's for inside purple, uh, blue and blue and orange to worry about. Inside orange and black, or there you go, right? Blue, yeah, orange whatever, and navy. Whatever their colors are. Inside mile high. Inside thin air. I don't. Know. But all right. Uh, let's wrap up this segment. We're gonna come back. We're gonna go through some restructures. Uh, what I what what I want to see happen this offseason. Some basic things that like you know the next steps once you start hiring these coaches and all that. This is Inside Black and Gold. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be right back. Here on Inside Black and Gold, I'm Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Geller. We're going to be getting into kind of my off-season plan, kind of my starter plan for the Saints off-season. Just some mostly financial decisions, mostly decisions on okay, who you're restructuring, who you're bringing back. Um, you know, it's 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 interesting because you look at it and you say, okay, the Saints are 83. Point, what three million dollars in the hole? They got to clear it. How do you go about doing that? Um, so you, we've already heard the Saints are planning to restructure Derek Carr. I think that was a NOLA.com report. Not exactly a surprise because when you look at the Saints cap table, you got to clear $83 million. You have plenty, multiple op- routes that you can do to clear that. Now, the biggest hurdle is your second highest restructure potential belongs to Ryan Ramchek at a little over $11 million. But Ryan Ramchek has a knee that is not worth $11 million. <laughs> well, we'll see how much it's got left in it. But to me, that's a huge question that you're not going to know the answer to until next year in terms of, can he even play this year? How much can you expect beyond that? Um so if you don't restructure Ryan Ramchek, he's going to count $27 million against the cap. And so to me, that's the, you know, when you're trying to decide, okay, who were you prioritizing? Cause I think you're not getting to the 83 million without doing one of those two without restructuring Derek or restructuring Ryan. And I think you don't want to restructure Ryan. So Derek Carr means you can restructure him and get $23 million against the cap clear $23 million. So you're doing that. There is no question. Your options are, you know, you, you could also restructure neither of them. And I think you would have to restructure literally every single contract available to you to get to 83 million. And I still don't think you're necessarily getting there. You might have to make a couple cuts. So that's not on the table. So there's, to me, there's no question. It always made the most sense. It was always the plan. You're restructuring Derek Carr. And if you do that, then you can get to that number with, I think, 10 more restructures. You can get to that $83 million. But again, people always talk about this as if this was an accident. This is what they planned for. This is how it works uh, for the Saints. I think a lot of the angry or upset reaction to the news was the fact that folks were going into the, the thought of, oh, we got one more year of Derek Carr and then we can move on. Let's get our new quarterback and plan for ahead. But it it seems like the plan is for two more years of car, not just the one. Yeah. I mean, well, that, I, well, here's the thing. You signed him to a three, four year contract, right? You signed him to a four year contract. That was really 
you know, monetarily, you're only tied in in terms of guarantees mostly for two years. But that doesn't mean you're like, there's this idea that the Saints sign this guy to a contract and then after year one should have been like running for the hills and trying to cut him. I think they still feel the same way about Derek that they felt when they brought him in in the first place. So why would they be acting as if they don't? Right? Like they've told you how they feel about Derek. <laughs> so they're not going to they're not going to say that and they're not going to do that and then in behind the scenes from a financial perspective be like, "Well, yeah, just kidding. We we don't really feel that way." So it just made sense. But it will be more costly to move on after this year if you choose to move on after this year. But I would, what I would say to that is you could still move on after this year. And if you get to the end of this season in a position where it's gone off the rails, you're firing the head coach, you're probably in a position where you're going to be taking the Band-Aid off anyway in a lot of ways. And eating a cap bomb like that probably isn't going to be the biggest <laughs> issue you have. It's going to be the least of your problems. So... I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't see it as a huge problem because you were always going to go into this season with Derek Carr as your starting quarterback. And whether you draft a quarterback or not, you're, you're not going to approach it as if like, you know, Oh, he's definitely going to fail. So we got to plan ahead for that. You know, you're going to approach it and hope he can succeed. Uh, and I think that's just the simple, simple way to explain that. I just think it was a sure sign to, at least to me, you know, it's like, hello, this, the Saints aren't making this drastic move up the draft board to go after a quarterback. No, they were never going to. You know, maybe, maybe if, maybe if Jaden fell, you know, maybe if one of those top three guys fell, right, I, right. You're you're not banking on that. Um, you're not trading up to three. You don't have the ammunition to trade up to three. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, or I mean, like at least not. Like you maybe could trade up to three, but it would be, but not painful. reasonably. Right. It would be the same type of move the Panthers made where it's like, yeah, yeah, you got your quarterback, but you got nothing else. Nothing else. Exactly. And you ended up picking the wrong quarterback. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't like that situation either. But I don't think you're going Penix. I don't think you're going Knicks at 14, maybe 45, but that's, that's another discussion. But so here, we, we can go through down the list. These are the guys that I expect to get restructured. If you want to write them down and knock them off as they happen and come and tell me how right I am, feel free. <laughs> But I guarantee you, if not all of these, nine out of ten of these names are getting restructured. Cam Jordan, nine point four million, you can clear that he's getting restructured. Alvin Kamara, eight point one million, you can clear he's getting restructured. Demario Davis, eight point one million, you can clear he's getting restructured. Carl Granderson, seven point two million, restructured. Eric McCoy, six point seven million, restructured. Caesar Ruiz, six point six, restructured. Taysom Hill, six point six, restructured. Tyron Matthew, five point eight restructured that gets you to about 81 million and from there i think i'm not entirely you know i you could you could pick five or six names and throw them in there my guess is Jawan johnson is the name that you hear to get the rest of the way in that you can clear 3.7 million and you can get to cap compliance with that one restructure and you're fine with it now that just gets you to where you can you balance your checkbook. It doesn't get you to a point where you can sign your draft picks. It doesn't get you to a point where you can be aggressive in free agency, but you have more contracts that you can mess with and you'll do that as you need it, right? So if if you do if Juwan is the guy and you have about a million in in working space, 
You can also clear 2.3 million if you want to restructure Nathan Shepard, 2.1 million if you want to restructure Jamal Williams. That's that's one I don't think you mess with. 1.8 million if you want to restructure Foster, 1.8 million if you want to restructure Colin Saunders, 1.5 million for JT Gray, 1.1 million for Tano Passanio. That's about 10.6 million this season that you can clear up. And that's enough. That's enough to sign your draft picks. That's enough to bring in some veterans, maybe look at some some free agents. And then, you know, there's other names down this list. You can cut Monty Rice and clear about 1.3 million. I expect that to happen. I don't know why you would keep him. Even if you did want to keep him, you would probably cut him and re-sign him at the minimum because why would you pay 1.3 million to a guy? I think you're like, hey, take a pay cut or we're going to move on because why would you pay him more than the minimum? The important thing there is I didn't really touch Marshawn and I didn't really touch Ryan Ramchek. You know, like I, I'm making this work without doing anything with their contracts because that's important to me. And if Ryan shows up at camp and looks great and you're like, man, this is a different guy. Like that knee is right there. It's perfect. Then maybe you can do something later and free up some more money, but I'm not messing with it. I'm not. No, the, when you hear a degenerative knee issue for, you know, your offensive tackle, that's obviously nothing good. And we've seen him obviously picking up more and more of those veteran days off throughout the years, you know, getting that day of rest and trying to give him, you know, the, the right management for that knee. But I mean, what, what can you do for something that, you know, is an issue and that just keeps getting worse. It's kind of scary, obviously, when you think about your, your star guy on your offensive line. I mean, you got to think about life after football too. Like, yeah, you right. know? Um, but yeah, so if Ryan can't play this year and you can designate him as a post June one cut and you know, I hear people talk about post June one cuts a lot. If you don't really kind of understand how that works, it's basically if you cut someone prior to June 1st, all of their dead money, all of the, the charges, cap charges, they accelerate up to this year. And so if I was to cut Ryan prior to June 1st, then you're talking about 27 million or whatever, all that dead money right now. If you designate it as a post June 1 cut, right? So a guy like Mike Thomas, for example, he's going to be a post June 1 cut. You know, a few players like Marcus May, you can do that. And really all it means is you're able to spread that hit out over two seasons as opposed to one. So you're not saving money by by doing that but you are making you are creating operational flexibility for this season so for example if you cut if you designated ryan ramchek as a post june one cut you would then clear 10 million this season but you're you're not saving money you're still paying you still have dead money but it's just allowing you to push 10 million to next season and that but that makes things more complicated next season so it's not necessarily a saving so much as a a redistribution of some of that, some of that cap. And so, yeah. And like you're pushing everything down the road, pushing everything down the road. And that's when people say like, Oh, they're kicking the can down the road. Those are the types of things where it's like, yeah, all of the work you're doing to clear space for this season is just making it. So you have to do work next season. Now, the reason that's not a huge issue is because, and this is where the disconnect is. I I see this all the time. People are like, well, their bill is going to come due eventually. It's not because you're still going to do this. Like right. the 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 criticism of it that really always drives me nuts is when it's couched in, 
eventually they're going to start managing the cap a different way. And they're not like people say like, blow it up. Well, what does that mean? It's, it really just means, Oh, okay. You're going to be doing this same thing with different players. <laughs> like yeah. you could you know, three years down the road, you know, when, when you start to kind of normalize a little bit more, which anytime you have to sign a quarterback that kind of throws everything out of whack, you're going to be closer to the line where you're going into the offseason, maybe $30 million over the cap as opposed to 83. And operationally, that makes your life easier. But you're still going to be doing the same process, right? They're not going to just suddenly change their entire philosophy in terms of how the cap is managed. So like, that's the part of it that doesn't make sense to me. Is every, like it kind of People kind of act about it like as if, oh, well, in two years, they're going to want to be going back and doing things like everyone else. They're not. So we don't need to talk about it as if it's this alternative strategy that they're doing because they have to. We need to talk about it as if this is their long-term multi-year strategy to field the most competitive team possible. It costs more. Gail's constantly cutting checks. She doesn't technically have to cut, but she doesn't seem to mind. So as long as the owner's willing to cut the checks, why do you care? Right? Show me the examples of situations where they have a less talented roster because of the salary cap. And that excludes people who have left on big above market contracts that you were probably not going to match anyway. Show me the people who got out of town on contracts that you should have paid. And Caden Ellis, three years, 27 million is not one of them. David Onyemata, three years, 30 million or whatever it was, is not one of them. Trey Hendrickson, you know, you could, it's probably the best argument you could make. Yeah, I was going to say everyone bitches about Trey. But even that, that was a huge contract that he got from the Bengals. It's not like it's right. not like you just you, you, he left for like three years, thirty million. He left for like three years, sixty-two million or something like that. Marcus, yeah, Marcus Williams, Williams. Yes. Who? Marcus Williams. Yeah, Marcus Williams. Like again, it's not like he left on a like Von Bell is the best example in terms of a guy who left on a contract that you should have been able to match. Right. Right. And it probably made sense for you to match. And but that was. Like it's funny because like that's a good example of it, but that happened prior to the cap really becoming the issue that it is today, right? Which is stemming from COVID. It's stemming from Drew's retirement, um, and that's why you're in a more precarious situation now. So like Devon isn't even an example of that in terms of like they didn't have to do it then. It that was an example of the Saints not wanting to pay safeties. And Marcus, which we've again, talked about is, before for sure. We have we have talked about it right, and Marcus leaving. You know, I, I wish they had re-signed him, but I also, like, if you look at their track record of paying safeties, CJ Gardner-Johnson got sent out of town. Malcolm Jenkins was was shown the door. Yeah, Kenny Vaccaro, right? Like, it's not a coincidence. Like, right. they don't want to pay safeties on that second contract. So, either way. But I just don't see this as an issue. Now, we want to talk about the draft. Like, one of the huge, one of the biggest reasons this Saints team is not as talented as it should be is that you've missed on all these first round picks. <laughs> and that has nothing to do with draft or at like uh, cap management. Right. Not at all. But people are going to be like, well, the team would be better if they managed the cap differently. It's like, but show me where. If like, if the cap is an issue and the cap is why you're not able to add talent to the roster or retain talent, it's like you can complain about the Derek Carr contract, but you can't sit there and tell me they overpaid Derek Carr and then also tell me that the cap is an issue, right? Because they clearly had, they paid him more than you think they should have. 
So that didn't, the cap didn't stop you from doing that. They got the money from somewhere. Right. Like, so if you're able to operate in a way that does not prevent you from doing the things you want to do, then it's not the cap. That's the problem. It's the decision making. And like, that's a whole different conversation. But I, the number of times I've seen people tell me that they overpaid Derek Carr and also mismanaged the salary cap in ways that prevent them from signing people in free agency is, is so ridiculous. It's so, it's the dumbest fucking thing. And we always arrive at this cliff where cap space equals better results, like excess cap space equals success. And in extreme instances, like the 49ers, where you're paying your starting quarterback in Q-tips, like, sure, great. You know, if you can find a starting quarterback in the third round, like the Seahawks found Russell Wilson, yeah, that's the ultimate cheat code of the NFL. But, like, that's so much of that is just dumb luck. (laughs) Um, You can't, that can't be your strategy. Your strategy needs to be add good players and retain good players as, as, as economically as you can. And the funny thing is, I think one of the byproducts of managing the cap the way the Saints do is that it does force you to be a little bit more rigid in the offers you're making and how you, how you operate in free agency. And that's why you'll hear stories from Saints free agent signings like Colin Saunders, Jamal Williams, where they basically came in and said, Hey man, we want you. This is how much we can pay. If you want to be, if you want to come sign here, great. And then the ball is in their court and they can say, okay, I'm going to go shop around. I'm going to see if I can find any other contracts. And if they don't let, you know, and, but the saints aren't going to sit there and be like, we will match whatever they give you. No, it's like, that's not a, the, you're, you're, you have a budget and you're sticking to it. And to me, that's the right approach in free agency. So that's a healthy byproduct of having to be rigid because that's how you maintain this system over the course of time. So this isn't really my offensive plan. This is my long spiel on why the cap nerds are just, they just want their rankings to, to make sense to them. And so it, it bothers them so much that every year they see this number and they're like, I can't possibly operate like this. Right. And it doesn't end up being an issue. And they're like, well, next year, next year it's going to be an issue. And then we get to next year and they do it again. And you kind of like, well, but, but I mean, next year, next year it's going to eventually, and then they do it again. And like, fuck. Maybe if the saints did lose Kai Harley, it might be a problem, but they didn't. Yeah, no, that is a, that's a good point. Like right. if, if you lose kind of the, like people talk about Loomis. They talk about the They talk about Mickey and they say like, oh, Mickey's the, the you know, it was like Kai is the one with the spreadsheets, guys. <laughs> right. He's the, impo- like Mickey's obviously important to this whole operation, but in terms of the cap and cap management, go look at Kai Harley. Cause that was what, that was the one that actually did concern me when he was like Jeff Ireland. I think like the scouting department can figure things out. Um, yeah, you could argue that Jeff hasn't hit lately and, you know, it wouldn't be a, a bad thing to get some new blood into that aspect of things. Yeah, and, and I mean, sure, you want, they, they are getting new blood because Cody Rager went to Denver, so right, you will be getting some changes there. But, like, I think you, in terms of day-to-day operations, losing Kai would have been a, would have been a big, you know, institutional loss because, again, like that the one criticism that I will – that that I agree with wholeheartedly is you're in this for the duration. 
and you don't really have a choice. You know, that's only an issue if you didn't want to be, right? Not being able to just shift back to standard, you know, accepted caps practices is not an issue as long as that was never your plan in the first place, right? If I'm on a boat in the middle of the ocean, that's where I chose to be. It's not an issue that there's sharks underneath me because I'm not going down there anyway. My plan was always to be on this boat. Now, if I jump off the boat and sink to the bottom of the ocean, I'll be in trouble. But the good news is that was never my plan. So I'll be fine. Now, if a rogue typhoon shows up and knocks my boat over, AKA a massive global pandemic, yeah, I'm in trouble. I got to figure something out pretty quick. But I'm not going to make my decisions based on well, what if what if what if a what if a gigantic wave shows up? Anyway, that's you get the idea. Either way, we're going to hear Nick Wright. I'm sure in a couple days come out with a take. Uh, you're going to see Cap folks talk about it. It's going to be fine. Anyway, going down the the name I didn't really talk about was Marshawn Lattimore and. You know, uh, we can get into the weeds on his contract situation. Again, it's going to be a situation where I think you make him a post-June 1 trade or cut. And people are going to talk about, well, why wouldn't they trade him prior to the draft? Well, it's going to cost you more this season if you trade him prior to the draft. And I don't think getting those draft assets this year is is important enough to sacrifice your flexibility this year. And... So, for example, if you traded Marshawn prior to the draft, it would actually cost you $5 million this year. In terms of the 2024 cap, you would have $5 million more that you have to clear against it. If you wait and make him a post-June 1 trade, you actually would clear up $14 million this season, which would allow you to maybe go and grab a veteran. Um, so, like, that's to me, that's the no-brainer. Like, if you are going to trade Marshawn, which – I don't think it's a given that they do, but if you are going to trade Marshawn and in my plan you do, then you would wait until post June one. Now that might limit your assets in return, but it's just the only thing that makes sense. It definitely makes sense to getting something for Marshawn. Obviously when you have two, like uh, obviously Elante Taylor and Paulson Adebo, and I, we've talked about, the Elante experiment at slot ain't happening. I think it's pretty obvious he needs to go back to his quote unquote, I guess, natural position of being on the outside and pairing him up with a Debo kind of lets you free up an asset like Marshawn to see what you can get for it. Although I, I don't like necessarily the idea of dealing away an all pro cornerback. I don't either. Um, but I think at a certain point it just makes sense. And I think you're kind of at that point. Um, you can say an all-pro cornerback, but he hasn't been all-pro the last two years. He's been hurt the last two years. And the product of being hurt for the second half of this season is you you got really good performances out of Paulson Adebo and, and Isaac Yadam and Alante at spurts. Um, I think, you know, again, you're talking about the outside. Right. And I want to see him on the outside. And that's another thing that kind of goes into it saying, okay, you know, if we trade Marshawn, we open up a path for, for Alante and we can extend Paulson. And then that's our cornerback tandem that we really like for the for the next four or five years give or take right so to me that's that makes sense and 
if there is truth to Marshawn being disgruntled and you know, then that makes sense too. Then, then that even that adds to it. The question is what the return would be and how little are you willing to take? Right. Cause it's not about the ceiling. It's about the floor (laughs) because there has to be a limit. There has to be a minimum that you'd be willing to take where it doesn't make sense anymore. Like you're not just going to trade him to trade him. And I think that that's what you have to make clear. And that's where you lose leverage in negotiations is when that team knows that you're trading that guy, regardless of what the, like if whatever the top, the best offer is, you're taking it. You know, if you're on Craigslist and it says like OBO or best offer, right. <laughs> you never want to, like, if you're trying to make money on something, you never put OBO after the title, you know, because <laughs> you're just going to, that's just a sign that's like, it's getting sold one way or the other. And so that's my goal of this off season. And if it's a smokescreen, maybe you are, maybe, maybe even if it's a lie, you got to make that. Cause otherwise you end up in the CJ Gardner Johnson situation where you're basically getting pennies on the dollar for a, for a product, for a player that ended up leading the NFL in interceptions. And I don't think you're at that point with Marshawn. I think Marshawn's a higher end player. And so the question is, do you get like a Jalen Ramsey type return? Because that's one of the bigger trades you've seen. Jalen Ramsey to uh, the Rams from the Jaguars initially. I can't remember what the Rams got trading him to the Dolphins. But it's probably somewhere in between those two returns. Um, Yeah, what definitely does suck is obviously the last two years, Marshawn has been banged up. Yeah. And that's going to limit what you can get, right? Like teams are going to say, well, we're not getting 2019 Marshawn, right? I don't know if you can get a second round pick, if you can get a 2025 second round pick from anybody, man, I think that's the deal, right? Like, you know, you might add some pieces to the back end of that, but like, you're not getting a first rounder for him for a 28 year old cornerback. Um, so like that, like, I think like the Christian McCaffrey return, I think that's what the Panthers got for Christian McCaffrey was a couple second rounders and a third or something like that. Um, like that's, Whoever's whoever the first team is that throws in a second round pick is probably getting Marshawn. But I'm doing it. That's that's my I'm doing that. I've been saying that for weeks now. It, it just makes sense to me. So so that's on my list of like, yep, this is happening. Just like Mike Thomas, appreciate the heck out of what he has done, but this is the year. It's time. You have to do something. He's technically under contract for 2024. Like technically, you can't just say bye. You have to either cut him or restructure his deal prior to the new league year. Otherwise, the he has these crazy bonuses that kick in, basically a poison pill in his contract to force them to make a decision one way or the other. And so I think you make him a post-June 1 cut. It'll cost you $7.9 million. I'm sorry. It'll cost you $7.9 million to do it prior to that. If you do it after that, it's the number is somewhere around like $2, 3000000 million for this season. Um, but I think it, it's, it's time. Mike... See what you got in free agency. I'm rooting for you. Good luck. No, that's what I thought was amusing with the audio we played of Derek Carr saying it best. It's like, I, I wish the best for you. It sounded like, uh, you know, an awful breakup, and that's uh, it didn't didn't last as long as it should have here, but it's pretty clear that Mike T's on his, is on the out skis. Yes, sir. Um, you know, and then, and then beyond that, there's really not a ton of free agency uh questions that you need to answer we did do the the episode where we kind of broke down all the free agents but a lot of them are rfas right like rashid shahid you bring him back he's an exclusive rights free agent um you know guys like pj Mustifer, like not a ton uh we talked about mike thomas we talked about you know marshawn who's not a 
free agent, but you know, you're making a decision. But the three guys, the three names that I think are priorities in terms of figuring that out, Andres Pete, who I am bringing back if I can. Um, now, I'm not giving him another five-year, $57 million contract, but if I can get him back two years, $12 million, you know, like like James Hurst, if I can get him back somewhere between like a James Hurst deal and, you know, a Cesar Ruiz deal, which I think Cesar's getting like 14 annually, you know, like I can, I think that's, that's the range, right? So uh, like if I can get him two years, 12 million, maybe a couple of void years on the end, I'm okay with that. If he gets bid up, that's the question. If he did enough this yeah. season to have a market that is makes it more difficult, then that becomes a bigger question because ideally in a perfect world, he's not my starting left tackle next year, but I do need a contingency plan and he's it. And what I like about Andres, as opposed to some other options I can bring in, is we know that he can play left guard. So if it, like it's not just like if Trevor comes in and is the starting left tackle, it's not just this overpriced contract sitting on the bench. It's at least someone who can play a premium position for you. So I think that's a no-brainer if you can get him back at the right at the right. Like it's not a question of saying good luck, like like with Mike. Like there's no amount that I'm resigning Mike for. But with Andres, it's like if he's within that range, I'm bringing him back. Yeah, it's crazy to think about, it. and I definitely never thought I would say that retaining Andres Pete is kind of a necessity considering where you are with the rest of this O-line. Agreed. Agreed. No, there's a couple other names. Zach Bond is another guy that, again, you're talking – like both these guys, Zach Bond, Ike Adam. I want to keep both. I yeah. do. And if I can, great. Like this is not a situation where – like oh, God, I gotta move on. Like I gotta find somebody else. It's kind of like last year, where I think the Saints wanted to keep David Onyemata. I think the Saints would have preferred to keep Marcus Davenport if they could. I think the Saints would have loved to keep Caden Ellis if they could. But all of these guys got bigger numbers than made sense, and I think they dodged a bullet with that with Minnesota offering thirteen million dollars for one like four games to Marcus Davenport this season. You know, they paid good money for those four games or whatever he ended up playing. Uh, you know, Caden Ellis, 27 million over three years. That's way too much to pay for your Sam linebacker. David <laughs> Onyata got a, got more money on this contract than he did when the Saints signed him at age, re-signed him at age like 26. So you were never doing that. And I think that's where you land with, you know, all three of these guys, Ike, Andres, and Zach. If you can get Zach Bond, yeah, three years, nine million, right? I'm all on, I'm I am on board with that for Zach Bond. If I can get Ike, even if you give him a raise, two years, six million, right? Like he was a one-year, one million dollar contract this year. That would be a significant raise for him. But I'm not going into the three-year, fifteen million dollar range for my for my third string cornerback. I'm not going into the three years, twenty million dollar range for my Sam linebacker. But I still do want all three of those guys back. And if I can't get them, then things will get more complicated. And the Ike Adam signing is pretty contingent on, okay, if I trade Marshawn, then I got to have somebody. If I don't trade Marshawn, then I probably let Ike walk. You think so, huh? Yeah, I oh, guess. Yeah. What are you, you going to do, right? Well, because you, you're carrying more money. And you're, and you're, yeah, I mean, yeah. like, if, if, yeah, it becomes a little more complicated. But... I, I mean, I need the depth if I trade Marshawn. And then the question becomes, what do you have at slot, slot corner? Now, you could go out and find a guy like Kendall Fuller. You know, you could pay at the top of the slot corner market if you want. 
they have the Saints haven't done that historically. So that's going to be my biggest question is how you do that. But I think once you make some of these decisions, once you get post June one, and you kind of find a little bit more flexibility in in terms of your long term, when you have a better picture of what that's going to look like, that's when I want to extend Paulson Adebo, Pete Warner this off season. No question, I want it. Um, Paulson, I don't think anyone's going to complain about that. Uh, Pete, I think there's a little bit more criticism. I don't think he had as good of a year as people were hoping for. I think he's still very good. I think he's still going to be your your long-term answer at linebacker. So I'm extending him. Both those guys are in the final going into the final year of their contract. So that's the next like big big step there. And then like there's questions of like there's a couple guys you can cut. Do you keep James Hurst, right? He might be the extraneous piece if you get, you know, if Nick Saldaveri develops into a guy who you can trust as the backup guard if you do resign Andres and he becomes your swing left tackle, left guard, then James Hurst probably you know, and, and, and again, you might draft a right tackle prospect. And in that case, I don't know. But he, th- these are questions that you kind of figure out as you go. Um, but that's it. That's kind of my my main plan is all these restructures. Um, you're moving on from Mike Thomas. I think you're trading Marshawn. You're trying to re-sign Andres, Ike, and Zach. And from that point, you figure it out. And you, you dive into the free agency pool but I don't. I think this is going to be kind of like last year, where I do not anticipate the Saints are going to have any interest in the opening wave of free agency. Um, they're going to wait things out and and find guys they like, like you saw with Colin Saunders, Nathan Shepard, those types of guys. Yeah, I, I don't expect any obviously uh, day one splash kind of signings, but the, more of uh, reserve, you know, guys filling up, you know, positions of depth and maybe some of the under the radar dark horse candidates kind of thing. But yeah, this, this team's not equipped to make a splash signing. And, and, and the funny thing is like, everyone gets excited about them. Everyone gets excited about these huge free agent contracts. You know, you know, we, we talk about the saints, how now they navigate the salary cap and everyone's critical of it. You know, there's no empirical evidence to show me that like this team would be significantly different if they navigated and managed the cap in a more traditional way, but there is empirical evidence to show that overpaying in free agency is a long-term detriment to your team, your team success. Like that, that actually is easy to see. It might have, you'll, in a lot of cases you'll get immediate returns, but over time it becomes a detriment. Like look at the, the giants under Ben McAdoo is a good example where they went out and they signed Olivier Vernon and Janoris Jenkins, Jack rabbit Jenkins. And I think, I think one other guy and they made the playoffs and then immediately fell off a cliff and haven't, you know, I think they did have one playoff season with Daniel Jones last year, but like all those players ended up on the, on the Browns and the saints ended up with Jack rabbit Jenkins, obviously. And he played well for him, but you know, I, I like, again, you know, one of the byproducts of managing the cap the way the saints do is they're not involved in those, you know, over-the-top contracts, market resetting contracts to free agents. And I don't think that's a bad thing. So, you know, it, it's fun. It's a good time. Everyone, li- I like to talk about it, but I don't fi- see it as a huge issue. No, like you said, I look forward to when the Saints do, they'll make some kind of move that nobody thought they could end up pulling off and affording. And yeah, then our, our good boy will lose his head. Uh, uh, what's Nick his Ray. name? What's that? Nick Wright. 
Yeah, thank you. Nick Wright. And we'll hear more about the Saints Ponzi scheme going on here They're in New doing Orleans. It again. Ah, how could you let him do this? We can't keep getting away with this. There you go. Right. Yeah. The the breaking bad gif. Yeah. Um, but all right, that's it. Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we get out of here? No, no, just looking forward, obviously, uh getting to one final week of football here, Super Bowl time, and then man, we'll be talking about obviously the higher more of Kubiak and then the filling out of the staff. Uh, and then bing bang boom, the the draft really is not that far away. No, it's not. Um, you know, the, the my question is whether they have an introductory press conference for Clint. I don't think you typically would, but it just seemed like a big enough hire that maybe they will. You know, like you would have it for a head coach, but I don't know if I can recall ever have, seeing like you know a defensive coordinator. Like, did they did they have one when Da got hired as a defensive coordinator? Uh, it's really escaping me. It's like, oh, are they just like, hey? Dennis Allen's just the head, you know, the, 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 the coordinator now. Um, I, I think there's going to be some kind of intro to Kubiak and maybe if he's got one or two staff members that he might be bringing with him to, it might be like kind of like a package deal. I don't know, but yeah, well, I mean, I, they definitely will. He question. definitely will talk it in camp, right? Yeah, like right. My question is whether they do like a, a formal big, big, press right. conference prior to that, which I don't know. They could probably get away with not doing it, um, but we'll see. But anyway, this is Inside Black and Gold. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We, we, we came a long way. We, we traveled a good distance in our minds uh, over the last 90 minutes or so. Um, if you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow Steve at Steve Gelly, WWL. You can follow the show at Saints underscore pod. Latest news, notes, and analysis at WWL.com. Uh, make sure to subscribe on YouTube at WWL Sports. And uh, yeah, it's a good time. We're about ready to turn the calendar over. We got one more, one more podcast, and then year season three. Dun, dun, dun. It's exciting. But, all right, who dat? Go Saints! The Kubiak era begins. <laughs> Mortal Kombat energy right there. Yes. <laughs>